Incoming transmission. The McFarland verse word of the day is giggity. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Actually, let's switch this up a bit. and welcome to the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise and this episode of the orville in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis small in stature big in heart and one of the participants of our next all-female fantasy draft back on the show for the first time in six months it's red sims yay how are you oh my god good good good. uh what you been up to in the last six months uh just getting settled in a new job and nice getting mentally healthy hey you know what man it's (laughs) so important you know um tng addressed it you know mid to late 80s you know with having a counselor on the on the ship finally yeah and it's steadily you know, increased from there, like the need and the awareness. Like I remember going through, I remember going through psych 101 in college and them telling us psychology, still the youngest science. I'm like, yep. Oh, wow. It never dawned on me that, yeah, that's, it's still, it's still a very young science and we're still just learning. I mean, my dad served in Vietnam and a lot of those guys came back and it was, it was just then no longer being referred to as shell shock from World War II, like yeah. <laughs> all the things that they were going through. But I don't think it was still like called PTSD just yet. No. I think it was just slowly getting there still. I feel like we know more about the oceans, which isn't really a lot compared to what we know about our own brain. <sighs> boy, that, boy, Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely <laughs> right. And there's a lot of stigma behind it. I mean, we're just, I mean, it's, the year 2022 and we're just now talking about this stuff and ADHD is becoming this you know Mm. bigger thing and more and more people are like hey yeah me too like yeah you know uh having just finished with the boys talking about uh on cinema shock talking about James Cameron and all of his expeditions to the ocean floor Mm -hmm. and the study of uh geological uh structures and the different animal life that's down there and on all that stuff it's so fascinating and boggles the mind but at the same time like oh we're, we're still we're still dealing with some some basic things in our own brains you know i recently watched a video of somebody on youtube analyzing um travis willingham's character ford from critical role from the mighty nine uh arc and them talking about him, uh, uh, the character of Ford, uh, dealing with the lie of masculinity. And it was so interesting to see where where the parallels are in my life. You know, again, dealing with uh, a father who served in Vietnam, 
two older brothers who are very, very smart. And, you know, the pressure that kind of put on me as the youngest to keep up and then getting involved in martial arts because it was the one thing I was interested in. And again, feeling that pressure of, hey, this is this is our this is our nine to five. This is our bread and butter. You fight. You're going to be sore and you're going to bleed we're men. That's what we do. This is, this is life. And it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> it doesn't. And it shouldn't be It's, yeah. a, it's totally unrealistic. Yeah. And, and here I am talking about the stuff that I'm learning. Women have it so much harder. I would say. <laughs> I think certain aspects of it, but you guys definitely experience that. Oh, like that it, it's rough. Like we all have it rough. Like we yeah. are a society of repression. <laughs> Mm. oh gosh like yeah. totally completely yeah yeah you're absolutely right and you know it's funny to talk about the the different uh male female dynamics in terms of masculinity and imposed social position and uh mm-hmm. gender roles uh you know and we you know we get into this pilot episode of the orville where right off the bat we see some some pretty heavy stuff in terms of the main character's relationship. But let's, before we get too much into that, let's go back. Um, this isn't your first viewing of the Orville, right? Um, I watched it probably when it first came out, like when, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, and I think I honestly only remember watching half of it, but um, it was awesome. Like, yeah, it's, it's a fun episode. Like it's, it looks like it would be a very fun series. Yeah, I uh, I had seen the pilot quite some time ago and enjoyed it, but for whatever reason, never made it past the pilot. Now, when I went yeah. to watch it for this recording, uh, I was like, you know what, let's let's go a little bit further. So I did watch episode two and three and, uh, you know, more of the same. It's 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 really solid. And, you know, as, as I got into some of my research for uh, some of the background of what all went down in making the Orville and getting it from, you know, the spec script to screen and now season three, oh, wow. um, it's, it's been, it's been fascinating to see. And Seth MacFarlane is becoming, is rapidly becoming one of my favorite Hollywood personas to, to follow just because Everybody, everybody knows him as the family guy, the, you know, the family guy, he does a bunch of voices on family Guy. He's got a bunch of animated shows, but as you get into it more and more, you see just how multifaceted his talents go and where his fandom has taken him. So, uh, you know, without, without much further ado, unless you got anything else, uh, here at the outset, you want to get to the recap? Um, I was just going to say that yeah, yeah. He, for me, he's more of a creator, like the ultimate creator, because there's nothing like he can sing, he can dance, he can write, he does voices. Like he's, he's basically what like old school actors used to be where they were like the triple threat or whatever it was. Yes. Um, and I think, and he's funny. He's, he's just hilarious. Like yeah. he, he's serious, but he doesn't have to be. And yeah, I, think I, think- that's what I like about his stuff. Yeah, I think there's something about those folks that come out of um, New England and that area in terms of uh, comedy and performing. A lot of folks from SNL are from Boston, 
somewhere in Massachusetts, somewhere uh, in Connecticut. And, uh, you know, that that's uh, it's a breeding ground for a lot of really talented, very funny performers. They have a wicked sense of humor. Yeah, they really do. And my, uh, I guess you call him my bonus dad. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he's from Boston and mm-hmm. he's very much like that. He has a very interesting sense of humor is it's so funny just it comes out of nowhere (laughs) yeah and you know hearing the type of humor that comes from seth in terms of the stuff that's on family guy and of course the other animated shows from fuzzy door and uh all of those all of those other things it's really fascinating because uh, it's like what can't he do? Like you mentioned, he can sing, he can dance. He's very funny. Like all of these things, it, you know, just in one person, like how does he not explode? He does. <laughs> yeah, he does quite frequently, honestly. Yes. And for our, for our entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, um, this is a, a really great show and I'm super excited to, to cover it. But uh, unless you got anything else, let's go. Let's fire up the recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, Cosmic Crit, and Kitty B. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Ed, have a seat. I have good news. There's a ship available. The USS Orville. Ever since I was a kid, I have wanted to serve on an exploratory vessel. You're nobody's first choice for this job, but we have 3,000 ships to staff and we need captains. Can I have one of these mints? Those are marbles. We're giving you one last chance. I just want to say I am thrilled to be your new captain. I want this to be an efficient ship, but also one that you're glad to be serving on. Lieutenant Commander Bordas, your entire species is male, isn't it? That is correct, sir. Probably not a lot of arguments about leaving the toilet seat up and that kind of thing, right? Mocklands urinate only once per year. Really? That's, I mean, I'm, I'm up two, three times a night. <laughs> that is unfortunate. It is. Captain, there's a message coming in from Admiral Halsey. It says that an executive officer has become available. No. No, 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 no. Crap, sorry, man, you okay? Yeah, it's all good, man, you okay? Yeah, all good, sorry. All right, no worries. The captain does not appear to be pleased at the arrival of his first officer. They were married. No way. You know how many times I tried to talk to you? You weren't hearing me, or you weren't around at all, but I did. I was the one who suggested couples camp. The therapist was your brother-in-law. This should be a really fun trip for all of us. Perhaps we should not be talking about this. Oh, no, 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 we're we're talking about this. This is a thing. You'll be delivering supplies to the science station on Epsilon 2. Thank you for coming. We need protection. Protection from what? The krill. We have figured out a way to manipulate the speed of events. So it's an anti-banana ray. It's really interesting. We need no longer fear the banana. Does it work on all fruit? What about salads? You do realize this could be used as a weapon. That's why you're here. Orders to Captain Mercer. Just detected a krill destroyer entering orbit. Doors jammed. Alara. You want to open this jar of pickles for me? I loosened it for you. Return fire! Give me the device or I will destroy your ship. Sorry, can you can you move like two steps to your right? It's just a lot of dead space there. Just perfect. Yeah, sorry, you were just 
very weirdly framed. What? What is that? Is that a beer? Yeah, I'm nervous. You know, it's a new ship. I want to make a good impression. It's 9.15 in the morning. Sorry. New York City in the year 2418. The future! Ed Mercer arrives at his apartment and hears his wife, Kelly Grayson, giggle from the bedroom. He opens the door to find her in bed with an alien. A year later, Admiral Halsey summons Ed to his office at Planetary Union Central. Despite his poor performance in the past year, the Union needs captains, and Halsey offers Ed command of the USS Orville, a mid-level exploratory cruiser. Ed enlists the help of Gordon Malloy, a former pilot, as helmsman of his new ship. He and Gordon fly to the Union dockyard orbiting Earth, where the Orville and her crew are waiting. Security Chief Alara Catan, Navigator John Lamar, Second Officer Bordas, CMO Dr. Claire Finn, and Science Officer and Engineer Isaac. While en route to resupply the Epsilon Science Station, Halsey sends orders to rendezvous with a nearby station to pick up their new XO. After reading the new addition's name, Ed calls Halsey, incensed that his new first officer is none other than his ex-wife Kelly. Halsey dispassionately replies that complaining about the placement on his first day will not look good, and Ed is stuck with the decision. Kelly cautiously enters Ed's office and apologizes for the affair, and states that she requested the transfer to Ed's ship to atone for her behavior. But the conversation quickly devolves into an argument about their relationship prior to the divorce. Kelly concludes by saying she'll transfer to another ship as soon as an opening becomes available. Yeah? Good! Orville arrives at Epsilon 2. Ed speaks with the Epsilon Science Station's overseer, Dr. Aronov, who appears somewhat panicked. He conveys that the station needs no supplies, but the request was sent for an urgent matter that he will only discuss on the surface. Ed, Kelly, Doc Finn, and Alara are given a brief tour of the facility, including giving Ed a handful of modified redwood seeds that can grow into a tree in any environment. Aronov shows the away team to a recent breakthrough, which has led to the creation of a quantum accelerator, a device that can accelerate time inside a quantum bubble. They demonstrate the device's capabilities by aging a month-old banana to 100 years in only seconds. Ooh, that's interesting. Kitan realizes that the accelerator is more than scientific equipment. It can be used as a weapon to turn entire armies into frail armies. Suddenly, a nearby technician pulls out a plasma pistol and demands the accelerator. The Krill spy calls for a Krill destroyer to raid the facility and steal the device. From Orville, Bordas attempts to communicate with Ed, but the spy forces him to say the Krill come in peace. Alara manages to subdue the spy. The team grabs the accelerator and flees to the shuttle, pursued by Krill soldiers. In space, the Orville, now aware of the situation, distracts the superior Krill ship. Uh, there was a firefight! Though Orville was able to distract the Krill destroyer, the ship's badly damaged and no longer able to match the destroyer in battle. The Krill captain issues an ultimatum, surrender the device or be destroyed. Kelly schemes to place a redwood seed inside the quantum accelerator and send it to the Krill by remote shuttle. 
When activated by the Krill Captain, the seed grows rapidly into a massive redwood tree, destroying the enemy ship. And there was much rejoicing. Later, in Ed's office, Kelly announces that she will transfer to another ship. Ed admits that she's a brilliant officer whose talents the Orville can't afford to lose. Finally, Kelly meets Halsey in his office back in New York to thank him for her promotion, and it's revealed that she requested Ed be promoted to captain of the Orville. Ooh, that's interesting. So we see, like I mentioned right off the bat, we see, uh, you know, I think there's a big uh, trend of like the husband cheating on the wife. I don't think you see, I, I think it's rare to see the wife cheating. Fair to say? Well, I want to say it's about 50-50, to be honest. Okay. Like, maybe when I was younger, there's a lot more men cheating on women. But as like the 90s and the 2000s kind of went through, I think there's like equality. Let's all be jerks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I think they sort of doubled down. and It's just sort of 50-50 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in seeing this uh, and looking ahead at the um at the cast list because apparently and again i haven't gotten this far and spoilers for anybody out there who hasn't seen further into orville apparently the blue alien that kelly's in bed with ends up being played by rob Lowe. <laughs> of course he is <laughs> that is what that man is made for yeah yeah it's i mean Rob Lowe, he's such a handsome dude. <laughs> you almost, you almost kind of like, all right, <laughs> hall pass granted. And like recently in all of the roles that he takes, he always seems to be like this, even if he's supposed to be disliked, you don't dislike it. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to dislike Rob Lowe. <laughs> and I think with, with all of the stuff that he's done, um, I think on Saturday Night Live and, uh, you know, his his time on Parks and Rec, which you can't not love Chris Traeger on Parks and Rec. He went in where everyone's supposed to hate him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the bad guy. Yeah. And nope, everyone loves him. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I, yeah. And I think everybody, I think even uh, the showrunner said that his, his role was supposed to be very small and just. I think both of them were. Yeah, just more of a cameo type thing. He ended up being like a major player for the for the rest of the for the rest of the run of that show. Yeah. Um, good reason. Rob Lowe's a fantastic oh, yeah. actor. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite shows. Like, uh, but you can see, I think you can really see. We talked about Seth being a fan of Star Trek early on. In fact, as a kid, putting together a a fan film which at the time probably rivaled most stuff that was on TV. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. You can really see some of the influence here. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to do uh, what I call Star Trek adjacent properties is to see yeah. the influence. And I think of the things that we've covered so far, which have been Firefly and uh, Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. this is the most Star Trek-esque thing yeah. out there. <laughs> It's so parallel. Did uh, did this give you any specific uh, Star Trek flashbacks from any any of the character perspectives or any of the shows in general or anything like that? Some of the shots were very similar to mm. a lot of like TNG, like when you see the 
the um the bridge and it's like some of the movies and that kind of thing yeah um but i think that's where it ends for me like they are so their own people like this is its own thing (laughs) oh very much yeah i think uh when i guess it's uh malloy and ed are first approaching the orville you get a real big uh star trek the motion picture vibe but it's interesting because you can tell you can tell that they are fans so they invoke that vibe but they cut it pretty short of just like hey here's the ship shot one shot two okay let's move on <laughs> like that's it that's all you get um which i think is actually kind of smart and i think the um the dynamic with the characters reminds me of guardians of the galaxy like the first one oh very they, much they a little bit less like they don't hate each other mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of every single person on this ship has some kind of odd personality about them like it is so funny to watch even yeah. just the first episode yeah it is very much a motley crew and it's it's interesting that you uh that you mentioned guardians of the galaxy because that's going to come back into play a little bit later uh the the interesting thing i think is looking at certain directors and certain creative teams and certain ensemble casts and seeing who works well together and directors being able to wrangle that many actors you think of directors like james gunn who did guardians of the galaxy you think of joss whedon who did a lot of the avengers stuff a lot of marvel stuff um you know you've got these characters who are larger than life played by actors who are about on the same level at least their egos are (laughs) and that can that can be a daunting task but being able to rein everybody in and really have everybody kind of truly work together towards this common good uh you know the actors with the stated goal of making the show and the characters of accomplishing you know the things that are in the plot set before them it's really such a such an interesting balancing act i think it definitely is and something i find fascinating about it is thinking back on watching the episode today it was like they had it wasn't watching a pilot like it didn't feel like this was the first episode like these people had this down yeah and it just seemed so natural like you were watching a movie not just a tv show at least for me like so well done you're absolutely right i think in looking at uh encounter at far point i think you know the pilot episode of tng if you watch that juxtaposed with something out of even just you know, a filler episode from season three or four, you can see those characters go through a big change. Um, I'll point to Picard specifically, and maybe this was kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Picard goes through such a big change because at the, like right off the bat, he is not personable. He's he's flat out mean, honestly. <laughs> English. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. He's got that whole, like, very stuffy British thing going. Will Riker comes in and has to basically, like, I am Will Riker. Be prepared for me to put my foot on every piece of furniture in this ship. And <laughs> he, he uh, they they have to he has to butt heads like specifically with him right off the bat as opposed to how they are in much later seasons where it's very 
you know, teacher, student, father, son, brothers in arms type relationship. And again, they've established that over years, but there is something about this cast in this pilot that feels very natural and it feels very, um, I've lost the word. <laughs> like, like it's been there for years. Like just it's, yeah. they've, they've, they've been doing this for a long time. There's no need to really build the charisma or, you know, introduce, even though they're introducing the characters to us, they establish some of these relationships very quickly and seamlessly. Like it's, we're on board. It, the very cool thing about it, like the people that are supposed to have known each other for a while feel like they've known each other for a while. Yeah. Like there's history there. Like it's just, it's very well acted. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, those scenes between, I believe, or well, at least the one scene between Malloy and Kelly, where it's, hey, I know you know what's happened between me and Ed, but I hope things are going to be okay. I'm your, I'm your XO. Uh, I hope things are going to be cool because I know you guys are still friends and now I'm your commanding officer and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I have to pee. Can I just go pee? <laughs> oh yes, please go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like it's very, I, I feel like, especially with TOS into the TNG era that there, there was a sense that it wasn't super human. It was, it was very it was kind of like they're up they're up here we're we're all scientists and we've got this thing locked down uh it doesn't it doesn't it's not super relatable it's something that it's something that we can aspire to but you know they've got all the science in their head they're able to do quantum mechanics you know for fun in their head but you know there's something very human and there's something very relatable of hey i know you're having this issue in your marriage i I have to go to the bathroom. Can I just, <laughs> you never see anybody sitting in Picard's ready room going, listen, this is all very important. And I'm right there with you. I, something, I uh, something, some, something from the replicator has given me bubble guts. I need to, I need to go take care of it. <laughs> My first three notes. I actually took notes this time. Ooh, okay. It says knock question mark. Why does no one knock <laughs> ever? Yeah. Yeah. And then right after that, I was like, well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then my next note is not until I, I'm sure you'll understand marbles. Yeah. Just how he spit it out, just back into the yep. right it right back into the thing. Like <laughs> I I really do wonder how many takes that took. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Just it was seamless. Well, like he knew he was gonna do that. <laughs> yes. And knowing the types of projects that came not only for Seth MacFarlane, but for the rest of the uh, behind the camera crew, we'll say uh, knowing that elf was one of them makes me think of certain elements of that production where uh, you know, let's okay. It's not a secret. It's John Favreau, John Favreau directed the episode, but yeah, uh, you know, and elf is in his background and you think of those scenes with Will Ferrell where he's shoving all of this food in his mouth. It's not spitting a marble, but like how many takes was that? Like, and just certain things where he, where he's eating or he's eating the cotton balls. Like, what are you doing? 
I think with that, you just let him go and just roll the camera until he's done. Like, and just pick what's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, looking at those small, simple things that are, I guess, would fall into the category of slapstick. A little Uh, bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, it's so, and again, when you, when you present these grounded characters, Something that comes off like slapstick, even if it's very small, like spitting the marble back into the into the bucket, um, come off as so funny. I remember in my childhood, I think I want to I want to say sixth grade, maybe um, my mother picked me up, picked me up late from school one day. So I was in the, you know, the after school care and all that. And the doors for the uh, the main it was, you know, the cafeteria slash uh, lunch or, uh, you know, assembly hall where, where they kept all the after school kids, Yeah. the doors for that, when you opened both doors still had a pole in the middle. And I remember one day my mom was, you know, a working mom, very blue collar, just, you know, and just rushing around. Okay. I got to go pick up Todd from school. We got to get home because Walt's going to be home soon and make dinner. And I mean, that was her, that was her life day to day. So she's getting me from school and I'm standing there and she turns to leave again. There's two doors standing fully open and my mother runs into this pole. She runs, she runs into the pole takes a step back and says, pardon me to the pole and goes around (laughs) just without missing a beat, apologizes to the pole and carries on. (laughs) I have also done this in high school. I ran into a trash can to the point where I basically fell into it. And when I got out of it, I apologized to the can. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I do that. I apologize to things when I hit them. Whether it be a person or a chair. But yeah, yeah. And happens. I have had a pool like that too. Oh really? <laughs> I turned around and I hit it with my face. Oh no. I you you know our dog Max. Um for Max. yes, for uh for the listeners, aka Lieutenant Zam. There was one point where he was standing and did not have a good idea. He didn't have it didn't register how close he was to the wall. And we took one of his toys and threw it down the hallway. So he turned to chase the toy and just as hard as he could smacked his face right into that wall. And both Kat and I just hands over our mouths like, oh, my God, he hit the wall so hard. Are you okay? (laughs) Are you okay, buggy? And he just he came back, you know, tongue hanging out of his mouth. Hey, I'm good. Love you guys. Scratch my butt, please. <laughs> Thanks for checking on me. <laughs> oh god. But yeah, uh, you know, I remember uh do you have any do you have any other notes or any any other uh observations about the about the show before we move on? I have a bunch of them. Please, yeah. Let's let uh, yeah, let's rock. I think it was in when you first meet Malloy, yeah, in the holodeck. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. It was an orc. I think so. I think it was some kind of orc. And he was so polite. I think he named him Steve. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. Yeah. But you know, you, you never see anybody throughout Star Trek. You see a lot of creative uses of the holodeck. You really do. Nothing Uh, like that. But, but, Nobody ever thinks to combine any of these things. Nobody ever thinks, uh, you know what? I'm going to fight a Klingon with like 
samurai armor and stuff like that and like nobody ever combines this stuff well they went straight D D with it yeah they did <laughs> it's so great and then i have four or five notes that said pretty ship pretty bridge it's a very pretty boat <laughs> yes it is it is a very pretty boat <laughs> it's got a nice rear end like it's got those the three it's hey, not like listen listen i'm gonna need you to keep this conversation clean when you're discussing rear ends here when you're discussing when you're discussing the pretty rear end of this of this lady the booty of the boat it's such a pretty boat trip that's it yeah i must refrain (laughs) what else you got um ex-wife surprise surprise yeah yeah um was that norm mcdonald Yeah, yeah, uh, the the slime, and apparently it was. <laughs> yeah, I I knew it uh, as soon as I heard as soon as I heard the voice. Um, that was yeah, that that was Norm Macdonald. I think that I think this was one of his last you know big big roles was the Orville, and it was perfect. Like oh, when it you, was when, it was yeah yeah when you hear him in the pilot as death, um, it was just like oh yeah yeah why why norm's perfect for that uh did you did you happen to watch um his final his final stand-up man it was so powerful and so interesting to see especially when it wraps up you see some of the biggest names in comedy sitting there and then they have a discussion about it i was like oh wow they just finished watching it too (laughs) it was hard to watch but it was he's such he was such an amazing uh, like actor comedian guy like he's just a he was a good dude yeah i you know the fact that they focus well first of all them saying that he was such a kind person yeah. is is very heartwarming and 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 good to know because it's you know nowadays not everybody in those positions is as kind as you want them to be there's um, not enough kindness in the world in general yeah, very true the other the other part that they focused on and again this was more of you know technique uh his stand-up comedy technique the fact that he was as smart as he was and that allowed him to play dumb and mispronounce words on purpose and and other things of that nature and i was just like that really is smart that really is smart uh because you he's getting laughs where there shouldn't be you know yeah you work you work so hard at the craft you've seen enough stand-up comedy to know and you've seen me do it enough times for sure yep. that you work on the phrasing so much that it's and you you it's refined and it's researched and it's written over and over again and it's performed over and over again until you get those bigger shows where you can hey here's the bit that I know works He's got these longer bits where he's talking with the audience, which that's a big thing alone is being able to talk with the audience and not at them. Yeah. But, he could have conversations. Like- yeah. And the fact that he knew, Hey, this chunk isn't going to get a laugh, but I'm going to mispronounce this word. And it worked every single time. It worked mm-hmm. every time. And he always got a laugh with it just because I don't know if it was the sincerity of of the approach, which, I mean, that's a, that's an old thing in comedy. And I feel like Seth MacFarlane understands that very well. The more serious you approach things when it comes time for it to be funny, it's even funnier. The more serious you take it, the funnier it is. 
And uh, Norm was so great at that. Um, and his timing was phenomenal. Oh, like he, yeah. Amazing comedic timing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say they say one of the biggest things in comedy is timing. And it's just mm-hmm. it's not really something you can teach. I mean, I can give you the formula, but if you and you can you can know that in your head of like, OK, as soon as the pie hits the face, count to two and then lick. That's yeah. funnier. You can know you can know that, but you don't know why it's funny, and you don't know where you may not know how to pick that up in other situations. Yeah, and I think you know some of the greatest displays of comedic timing. I think are from The Office. Uh, you had these right. larger than life performers, a lot of them with comedy or at least comedic writing backgrounds, who understood timing. Yeah. And, you know, we're able to fire even their bloopers, even their outtakes are still done in such a way that the timing is just so perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what else you got? What other notes you got? Um, uh, oh, they loud. Who? The... They were fighting and they can oh. hear them in the bridge. Yeah. This is a spaceship. Shouldn't some of these rooms be soundproof? (laughs) Just from the structure of the ship itself. (laughs) And then I wrote, do you know they can hear you? (laughs) um, And then I was like, they got so excited about the pizza party. Oh, you know what? Who doesn't love a pizza party? Like, don't give me like I'm pushing 40. I mean, you and I are close in age. Yeah. If someone said, Hey, if you do such and such, we'll throw you a pizza party. I would still just like crack my knuckles and like push up my sleeves and be like, I'm going to get that pizza party. <laughs> I'm, I'm so down for a pizza party. I think to be honest, one of uh, one of my uh, favorite memories of uh, me and my wife hanging out with you and your husband is when not long after you moved here to Greenville, us yeah doing a traveling pizza pizza taste test of all the different pizza places in Greenville. It was, it was our own little pizza party. It was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. Oh man. I, I, I've thought about, uh, cause I tend well, you know, pre COVID would always have a pretty big shindig for my birthday. And, uh, it's been a while since we've done one of those, but I think if we do get to a place where we can have people over to the house and do another big Todd's birthday, uh, extravaganza, I think I may just keep it pretty simple and do a pizza party. I think that would be a lot of fun. Well, my plan for my 40th, it didn't go as planned, but I'm definitely going to do this at some point. I wanted a kid party, like something you'd throw for a 10 year old. Yeah. Like yeah. streamers and themed cake and pie, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like a bounce house and a ball pit, like just kid stuff. Yes. Oh man. I'm all, about, well, do you know the story of, of the first birthday cat threw for me? No. So when she and I got together, and of course this was long before we moved to Florida and met you guys, um, you know, my birthday's the day after Christmas, which yeah. for folks who have birthdays, you know, in that particular time span that basically that two weeks between yeah. uh you know that two weeks before the end of the year it's really hard to have a birthday um right. especially for ki- yeah especially when those things are so important to kids you yeah know, to, right to you know you're told to sit up straight and pay attention and you know mind your manners and the whole thing but there's one day a year where you get to kind of cut loose and people kind of have to it's it's their birthday here we go 
Um, you know, for the kids who don't get those like myself, uh, you know, any birthday that you get any birthday party, any birthday gathering that where you get, where you're, you're the thing, you're the attraction, um, kind of is pretty important. And I told my wife, I was just like, yeah, I, I never really got a lot of those as a kid and, and all that stuff. It was kind of, you know, I had, I could probably count on one hand. And at this point I was probably in my early to mid twenties. Oh, you know, wow. um, I was like, I maybe had maybe a handful of birthday parties just cause everybody was out of town. Everybody was busy. It was Christmas. Sad. Yeah. So she was like, you know what? Never again. We'll, we'll fix it. And that one of those, that first birthday that I had and she were not, she and I were together. Um, I came home, I was still working night shift. So I think we, we caught a movie early in the day, like after I got off work Yeah. and, um, came back to the house or came back to the apartment then. Um, and I, I passed out on the couch, just dead to the world. The place could crumble around me. I'm not waking up. Uh, hours later, I feel her hand on my shoulder, gently shaking me going, baby, it's time to get up. And I, and I rolled her, "Eh, what's going on? She goes, I've invited all your friends over. Um, I got your star Wars cookbooks and made a whole bunch of star Wars themed treats uh, here's your Obi-Wan Kenobi robe and little plastic lightsaber that you shake and the, the blade extends and all your friends are coming over. We're going to watch the movies. You're going to have a star Wars themed birthday party. I was like, we're going to be together forever. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Now, like, seriously, I have not seen a, like, I love you guys. I love I do. You, too. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Well, fun little postscript to that to that story mm-hmm. we watch the movies it's getting late some people are having to go appreciate you stopping by everybody leaves and cat goes i have one more gift for you go upstairs and make yourself busy for about 10 minutes so okay so i go upstairs we had another bedroom so i went in there that's where the computer was i start you know checking my email whatever i hear our bedroom door open and her go i'm ready And I go in and she had custom, she had ordered a custom made slave Leia costume. That is glorious. With, with the choker and six feet of chain. (laughs) Cause she's an overachiever. Yeah. Yeah, she is. And needless to say, she knocked it out of the park. (laughs) That was was a really good birthday. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Oh man, this, this part of this this part of the story might have to get put in the after show. <laughs> Gotta keep it G-rated. I know, I know. You kept it pretty, it's good. Yeah, it's I didn't curse bad. or anything. I wasn't vulgar about it. It was, it was a it, yeah, it's very sweet, honestly. <laughs> and I yeah. think, well, on that note, I have uh, one last note on here. Yeah, yeah. Hug the donkey. Hug the donkey? You don't remember that? No. In the show. Hug the That's donkey. the maneuver he does when he goes around the krill ship. He calls it hug the donkey. Hug the donkey. I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I wrote it down. Hug the donkey. That's great. Oh, I'm going to, I gotta, I'll, I'll see. Here's what I'll do is I'll see if I can use that at karate sometime and just see if I can be, I I'll use it as if it's an old school sparring term of like, Hey, you gotta, well, you know, you know how you fix that, right? You just got to hug the donkey. It'll be like, hug the donkey. And I'll be like, you don't know hug the donkey? Oh, you're, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'll have to see if I can bust that out on somebody sometime. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, let's get into a little bit deeper here. Uh, yeah. Some of the themes that I wanted to talk to you about. I remember when this show was first coming out and there was a sense of, oh, it's just going to be family guy in space. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense that it was going to be? I mean, did you feel that way before you watched it? Do you recall? And now having since watched it, do you feel that way? I don't, I don't know that I initially felt that way, that it's just Family Guy in space. Having just finished watching the entirety of Family Guy, because Fred, of course. Um, <laughs> it has the same kind of sense of humor, but it's more... I don't want to say it's elevated because it's it's not that elevated, but it's it's above the ridiculousness of Family Guy, but it still has that like huge humor mm. knit to it. Like, yeah. To be honest, the helmsman, um, I can't remember their names, Malloy and the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Something that really struck struck me. One was drinking beer on the first day as <laughs> yeah. he's driving to the ship. Of course. <laughs> the second one wanted to make sure he could have soda. While he's working, <laughs> yeah. like it just—it's so funny. And then their dynamic is just—it's like two best friends. It's like that. It's, it's <laughs> two very, best friends. Yeah, and it's kind of like you know how they had like Brian and Stewie, and then they had you know that kind of thing. It's like yeah. I kind of saw that a little bit. Like that might be the two in that show that take after it. But it's—it's it's similar, but it's definitely not the same. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, and I think I think you're hitting. I think you're hitting on it. Uh, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty close. I, you know, tried to analyze it a little bit more. And I was thinking I've been working on a screenplay with a, with a friend of mine and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're analyzing plot story and characters, the three things you need for any narrative. And I was looking at this notion of, Oh, it's family guy in space. I was like, no, it's, it's definitely not that it's, they did that. they, They, right. It's kind of, I think they explored plot and story through these well fleshed out characters on Mm -hmm. the Orville. Now, if you look at family guy, the most detailed part of any episode of family guy are the Griffins. They, these are the well fleshed out characters that have backstories and details and little nuances and little idiosyncratic things about their personalities. And, but Anything that happens to them, plot, it's mostly plot. There's the story of Family Guy is not super deep. <laughs> but it's, not the, it's just the life of them. Right, right. The plot is, you know, obviously what's happening to them and all that. So it's, and that can be, as you've seen, as most people have seen, very wacky, almost always from out of left field and just kind of, all right, it's our well-known characters in this situation this week and then next week something completely different and the following week again and just repeat <laughs> yeah it's wackadoodle yeah but you know what i i and i feel like i feel like they did kind of do that with the orville because like we've said already these characters feel very fleshed out very lived in yeah like they, like they have a backstory and through the right turns of phrase and the right, uh, you know, scenes between certain certain characters and certain discussions, we get a sense of who these people are very quickly, and yeah. that allows us to get to a plot. Uh, yeah, to get and, to the interesting stuff. 
Right. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Is it, is it family guy in space? No. Does it have some of the sensibilities about story structure and character building and world building? Absolutely. And the thing with family guy, even their side characters had a backstory. Yeah. every, Every single thing or every single like character. And even if they were side characters had been on the show one time, like you still, like you realized they're still part of that community if even if you're not seeing them right yeah you're absolutely right and it's kind of being carried over in this yeah yeah i think so well after two successful theatrical endeavors and the release of his third album seth mcfarlane was inspired by twilight zone and star trek obviously and encouraged by the success of guardians of the galaxy and Mm -hmm. deadpool so he submitted a script for the Orville on spec to Fox in May of two of 2016, which of course got greenlit for a 13 episode season uh, that July and Adrian Palicki, uh, former wonder woman, people may forget uh, was cast as Kelly Grayson, the protagonist Ed's ex-wife and new XO of the Orville and Scott Grimes, who voices Steve Smith on American dad uh, was cast as Gordon Malloy, Ed's best friend whom, he assigned to helm the exploratory vessel in August, Peter Macon and Jay Lee were cast as Lieutenant commander Bordas and nav officer, Lieutenant John Lamar, respectively in October, Halston Sage was cast as the Orville's young security chief, Lieutenant Alara Catan and deep space nine alum Penny Johnson. Gerald joined the ensemble as Dr. Finn. Do you remember her? No. She was uh, Captain Cassidy Yates that Benjamin Sisko falls in love with, if you recall. She was the... I, she, not, I do now. Yeah, you do now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Dr. Ooh, Finn. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Mark Jackson was brought in to portray the robot Isaac in December, and production on the pilot episode began shortly thereafter. So... As with all things, and as we do every week, we have to ask, who do we blame? So this episode was directed, as I mentioned earlier, by John Favreau, who uh, began professionally acting in 1992 with his first big acting role uh, coming up in Rudy, 1993, That's as right. Deep Bob. He yeah, that. yeah. It's now. I'm going to ask you, and you gotta, you gotta be honest. Do you cry when you watch Rudy? I think I did the first couple times, but then like now you know what's coming and it's like, ooh, yeah, this is great. Go the fa- the yeah. fact that you said the first couple of times means you're definitely a fan because you've watched it at least more than twice. <laughs> it's a great- You watched a lot of like TBS and you got a lot of like movies that would roll through. Yes, yes, and absolutely. And those during football season. You'd get it at least twice a year. Oh yeah. Even if you're not, uh, even if you're not a football fan, even if you're, you know, not definitely not a Notre Dame fan or anything like that. It's still a good movie. Rudy is such a good movie. Sean Astin as Rudy and just, and yeah. D Bob as, as his big old, as his big best friend. It's, oh, it's so heartwarming and just yeah very it's very tearjerker underdog type story it's so great um so john favreau's first writing would come in 1996 on swingers which he also produced okay Um, my wife uh will make me sleep on the couch if i don't mention his acting in six episodes of friends 
1997 uh, as the very Tony Stark-esque character Pete. I do Uh, remember that. Yeah, yeah. uh, The very rich guy who wants to get into cage fighting and just... (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, funnily enough, um, John Favreau auditioned to play Ross. He almost and almost got it too. So the cast of Friends would have looked very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there was a couple people up for some some different roles. I don't know if I would have hated him as much as I hated. Oh, you you don't you don't like David Schwimmer as as Ross? He's a, he Ross. I don't mind it. I have nothing to do. Like the actor's fine. His character was just not a fan. Yeah. Like honestly there I this is a very unpopular opinion. I've watched a lot of friends because of my mother. She loved friends, but they're terrible people. <laughs> you know what? You're you're not in the minority as much as you think. They they that has I mean, been analyzed to death and they are terrible people. They're really not. Like they're just uh there were funny moments like I, of course I think my favorite scene is most people's favorite scene of Ross when he's pivot pivot (laughs) oh my gosh yeah you're absolutely my wife my wife's favorite episode is uh the one where nobody the one where nobody's ready it's a oh yeah it's a bottle episode but it all just takes place there in the in the girl's apartment and everybody's trying to and ross is just desperately trying to get everybody ready and get the cabs and hey we we gotta go i saw so much of my father in that moment of just please just just go put something on i you look beautiful either way just go put something on please yep. <laughs> the desperation coming out in his voice makes it so funny well he did that very well like he's yeah. a very good actor i just didn't particularly care for the character but in that in that episode i want to say everyone has dealt with at least one person in that scenario yes like we know someone who is that. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, John Favreau's first theatrical directing would be made in 2001, which he also wrote, produced, and acted in. So he was taking on a lot of stuff very early on in his career. Yeah. Uh, and all of those projects I mentioned are relatively small, no frills, dramedies. Uh, that all began to change with elf Mm -hmm. in 2003 which he played the doc he played the doctor uh trying to trying to draw blood from will ferrell uh but that he also directed and then he would move on to zathura a space adventure in 2005 uh and if you've enjoyed a marvel movie in the last 24 years you can thank john favreau for his contributions starting with iron man in 2008 which he directed executive produced and of course plays happy hogan happy yeah uh you know i still i mean i'm a big comic book guy so i i adore the marvel movies really really enjoy them um but i tell you what that final one of those final moments of uh, spoilers for endgame okay Mm. um at tony stark's funeral um when happy is sitting there with morgan stark Mm-hmm. And they have the discussion about cheeseburgers. Yep. And you see the look on Happy's face. Uh, you know, you know, your dad loved cheeseburgers. I'm gonna get you all the cheeseburgers you want. You know, <laughs> and you can, yeah. and you just see that moment. It, it's such a, it's such a small moment, but it's so powerful in light of everything else that has come. And I think of, you know, I don't get me wrong. 
I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. I love the Marvel movies. I, I'm a bit, you know, the bigger, popcornier, the better. I love yeah. it. But you don't have to do much to sell us on the power of these characters. And I yeah. always point to it was one of the opening scenes in Brian Singer's first X-Men movie where it's Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier across from Ian McKellen as Magneto. Yep. There's no special effects. It's the She's two of them. It is the two of them just talking. Mm-hmm. And after that scene, I was like, you can stop the movie. You can stop the movie right there. That was worth the price of admission. It was so powerful and so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I, that's the stuff. That's the stuff I love, uh, you know, hearing, t- hearing Tony Stark explaining to Pepper why this is important to him. Yeah. Um, seeing, uh, seeing Dr. Erskine talking to Steve Rogers about, uh, you know, when you take the serum, good becomes great, bad becomes worse. Yeah. So the reason we're doing this for you is because you're a good man. Yeah. And just continue to be a good man. And, you know, there's so many moments like that throughout the Marvel franchise. And I think that's one thing that sets Marvel apart from DC is that they have focused on these characters and these very, very relatable human moments mm-hmm. as opposed to DC, which is focused on plot. Yeah. They do have a lot of good plots. They yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. What I love most about just the start of like superhero movies, Mm. I didn't get into comics that much as a kid because where I'm from, uh, girls don't do that kind of thing. Um, So that's how I got exposed to it. And then after I've watched those movies, then I was like, I've got to read these comics. I've got to find this stuff. Like it was a huge bridge, I think, to a lot of people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they restructured a lot of storylines to coincide with the release dates of, of a lot of the movies because they knew a lot of people were going to go to see the movie Friday night, Saturday morning. They're going to be at their local comic book store. Yeah, um, I know specifically for Iron Man, uh, they restarted Iron Man with uh, Matt Fraction writing Iron Man. And it was a lot of the stuff that was in that first Iron Man uh, story arc. Mm-hmm. There in 2008, um, ended up seeing and ended, ended up getting some screen time in Iron Man three. Actually, like mm-hmm. these things, these things have a very unique shelf life in that certain certain ones rise to the top and get made into movies. Others kind of go by the wayside, and it's it's very fascinating to see what stays and what goes. But yeah, uh, you know, after Iron Man, as if that wasn't enough. Once he had a good relationship with Marvel Disney, John Favreau would lend his talents to the star Wars universe. Uh, now most folks would think that his contributions to that franchise began with the Mandalorian in 2020, but actually he did six episodes of star Wars, the clone wars uh, from 2010 to 2013, lending his voice to pre Vizsla and warrior commander. Did you, uh, did you see the, the Clone Wars cartoon, yeah. that that digital one. Yeah, I, see, I, I was, yeah, see, I was a big fan of the Gendy Tarkovsky animated Clone Wars. It was um, they they did those. I think they were actually shorts. They did them as shorts. Yeah, 
yeah, and then so. just compiled them all into two volumes. They they stuck them all together and they sort somewhat made a cohesive movie. But then hey. they they did the digital the digital animated Clone Wars show, mm-hmm. and that just blew the it was, off. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and of course, out of that out of that came the Bad Batch and a whole bunch of other things too. Right? So. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So so between here and there, he would uh, direct one of the last episodes of The Office. We actually mentioned The Office earlier. Uh, oh, the fantastic foodie film Chef in 2014, which he also wrote, produced, and acted in. Did you see Chef? I still have not seen it. <gasps> it is oh. on my li- I know, I know. It's on my list of things. I just, we're not there yet. Oh, it's, uh, to be honest, you, uh, you will look at grilled cheese differently. <laughs> it's, and to be honest, it's a really great movie full of, uh, very familiar faces in addition yeah. to John Favreau. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really great. And, uh, he would also direct the quote unquote live action remake of Jungle Book in 2016 i i say quote unquote because so much of it is just digitally animated it's hard to call it yeah, live action all of it is. yeah yeah a lot of it a lot of it um and of course the pilot episode of the orville last but not least written by mr seth mcfarland and of course he portrays the orville's commanding officer captain ed mercer now since the pilot episode uh, some Star Trek veterans have been involved. Uh, Robbie McNeil, Brandon Braga, James L. Conway, and Two Takes Frakes have all directed episodes of The Orville. Brian George, Robert Picardo, John Billingsley, Jason Alexander, Tim Russ, Marina Sirtis, F. Murray Abraham, and Tony Todd have all made guest appearances. They've all oh, been... wow. Yeah, they were all on screen for Star Trek, and they've all made appearances in The Orville. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. The the Orville has actually been attributed with a few accolades, best original score, best visual effects, and best sci-fi series, and 13 other various nominations, two of which are to Seth MacFarlane himself from the Saturn Awards for best actor on television. I think yeah, they amazing. Yeah, he's he's really really good. Uh, McFarlane's fourth studio album in full swing was released uh, September 15th, 2017, featuring Nora Jones and Elizabeth nice. Gillies, uh, which received two Grammy nominations, uh, followed by Once in a While on April 19th, 2019, and then Seth's sixth and seventh albums, Great Songs from Stage and Screen and Blue Skies, were released on August 8th. Uh, August 28th, 2020, and just three months ago on May 20th, 2022, respectively. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, To be honest, hearing Seth's musical choices from Family Guy and throughout his career so far, I I think I got to look into some getting some of his albums. I totally dig that vibe. Uh, Yeah, I didn't realize he had so many. Yeah, uh, they were there was quite a few. And one of the things that uh, Kat and I play in the house pretty regularly is Frank Sinatra, the Rat mm-hmm. Pack, big band era, Glenn Miller, that type of thing. Love that. Yeah, it's one of our favorite things to kind of put on while we're doing chores or having dinner or something like that. It creates Hang a whole vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seth MacFarlane continues to work and be very politically active. Uh, he has been an outspoken supporter of the LBGT plus community. 
as we all should be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one thing that Star Trek really does uh, reinforce. I think if you go back and listen to the episode that I did with Matt Jennings from 1701 Blurred, you know, we talked about not only the LBGT plus community, but we also talked about the racism that's actually in that community and the racism presented in media that we all kind of accepted for whatever reason and how that perpetuated and all of these issues. But Star Trek seems to be this one melting pot of acceptance where it's just kind of like, hey, come with us. We don't care what yeah. you are, what you love or who, or where you've, you know, just yeah. open arms, just, just come on, come with us. It, everything's fine. <laughs> it's truly where everyone's welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll all get there together. We'll all yeah, get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Ren, we come to the very important question that I've been asking folks for a while now. Okay. Is this essential viewing? If there's a Star Trek fan out there who for whatever reason no judgments (laughs) for whatever reason they have not watched the orville is this for one reason or another essential viewing i think at least one episode that's fair that's fair you gotta try the pilot if if you like the pilot watch the whole thing like because it's so well done Mm -hmm. like it just doesn't seem it seems it, it seems like you would give yourself a disservice if you don't at least try this because it's just, it's well done. And it's, it's very, it's very correct in being adjacent. Like it's very similar, but it's very different too. Oh yeah. I think this is, this is the TV version of galaxy quest. <gasps> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. It, where everybody, everybody kind of considers galaxy quest to be the other star Trek movie. I feel like this is the other star Trek show. Yeah, definitely. And here more recently with New Trek being so um, embracing of different styles of storytelling, I'm thinking specifically comedy and animation, Mm -hmm. Orville really needs to be a, hey, when you decide to take a breath of fresh air from Star Trek, try out the Orville and give it the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, give it, give it a handful, give it a handful of episodes. I remember lost. And I always said, Hey, look, just watch disc one, just watch disc one of season one. And if you're not sold after that, don't bother. <laughs> I watched three episodes and was like, oh, lost? this hurts me. I have to walk away. Like it just, I could, I didn't understand anything that was going on. And I know yeah. that was the point, Yeah, but I don't like, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And trust me, uh, uh, this is not the episode that we're going to have the full lost discussion, but I have a feeling it's right around the corner. <laughs> and oh, sure. We'll 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 do it eventually. But yeah, uh I think I think this kind of needs to be a uh hey, if you if if you like this, you'll probably like this. Get, give it a shot. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, it is definitely made, like I said, you know, I, to keep going on the Galaxy Quest uh, comparison, you can tell that it's made by people who adore Star Trek. Yeah. Very much like Lower Decks. I, I think between uh, the references, uh, the character building, world building, plot and story of Lower Decks, you can tell 
is made by people who absolutely live, breathe, and it Star Trek pumps through their veins. It yes. is and be, because they're able to do all those things so well in half the time. Oh yeah. So it really showcases the skill as well. And, you know, as I just mentioned, there's no shortage of skill in front of the camera or behind Mm-mm. in the Orville. So if you're looking for something that is uh, very much an homage by people who love it and are capable of doing something mm-hmm. like this lovingly and respectfully, yeah, you got to give the Orville a shot. It's the best version of fan fiction that you can think of. Oh, like it really yeah. is. Like, yeah, it very is- well said. Yeah. Very well said. Well, folks, next week on Halloween, <laughs> we will be joined by Lego builder, Mr. Thomas Fletcher for Enterprise Season 4, Episode 17, Bound, which, of course, is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Ren, where can people find you and bother you on the internet? Uh, RC Sims 82 on Instagram and Facebook. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis from all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in Ted Ford. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?